Welcome to the Web Podcast, episode number 41. web podcast i am your host eric marshall wet stands for writing education and technology every week i bring you an interview or an essay about one of these topics uh today we're going to be talking uh about writing and education with m shannon hernandez i was i'm really excited to have shannon on the podcast because uh like me, she was a secondary education teacher, and uh, like me, she she has written a memoir. I am writing a memoir. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk to her about her journey uh, from being a secondary education teacher to a memoir writer, a writing coach, a business consultant, and uh, many other things. We have a really lively interview. It's really uh, exciting and interesting, uh, a little bit wide-ranging and uh, chock-full of information. Uh, we mentioned several links in the interview. And as always, you can find the links that we mentioned at ericmarshall.net slash wet. That's eric with a K, marshall with two L's, dot net slash W-E-T. And that's where you'll find show notes for every episode of this podcast, uh, including links and a, and a quick synopsis and things like that. So... I hope you go check that out and find some valuable information there. You can also follow the podcast uh, at Wet Podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at emarsh, E-M-A-R-S-H. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. And today my guest is uh, M. Shannon Hernandez. And you go by Shannon? Yes. Okay. Well, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here, Eric. And I'm excited to have you. So I found you through Twitter. Um, I have to give a shout out to Scott Rank, who uh, suggested I interview you. Um, Scott was on this podcast back in, um, I guess it was March episode, I want to say 24. Um, Yeah, 24. And uh, I was on his podcast, and you were on his podcast, and he recommended you. And I'm very happy that he did so because um, you've got a really interesting story to tell us about um, your journey from a secondary education teacher to owning a business and doing writing and editing and all that. And I'm really happy. I'm really excited to hear uh, about that about that journey. Uh, before we started recording, you said there's a story behind your name, the M. Shannon versus Shannon. Yeah. So when I decided I was going to to start a business and become an author, I did what I think a lot of people don't necessarily do first. And I Googled my name, Shannon Hernandez, because I needed to see what was out there. Right. So I could differentiate myself somehow. And when I did that, I actually found two things. The first was lots of women in orange prison jumpsuits, which I did not want to be confused with any of that stuff going on. And the second one was um, there is a man who has a really popular YouTube uh, show named Shan Man, and his name is Shannon J. Hernandez. And uh, he and I have friendly banter back and forth on Twitter about dominating the airwaves. So uh, <laughs> I, my first name is Mary, but I was always called by my middle name. So I just decided to brand myself M. Shannon Hernandez. And now I've worked SEO and I kind of own that space. So it was a good move. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I, I just Googled Shannon Hernandez and you're, you're number two, but yeah. if you do M, you're number one. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. <laughs> and two and three and four and five and six. So. Probably pages after pages. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, that's a that's a good call. That was a good call. Yeah. Um, when I uh just a, a side note, when I registered my uh went to register my domain name, I was looking for ericmarshall.com. I spell my name with a K, so it's not that common, and it was available, but then I procrastinated and finally I got around to doing it, and when I finally went to register it, somebody else had registered ericmarshall.com like a week or two before. 
Wow. So I went with ericmarshall.net, and that's been a battle. I, I end up on top now, but he's some kind of like kickboxer or mixed martial arts guy or something in California or something. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. we've had email banter back and forth as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, <That's funny. laughs> yeah, well, well, it happens. So, um, so good. So you were a, um, you were a middle school teacher for 15 years. Yes, pretty much. I, I taught the first few years. I taught second and third grade, but the majority of the 15 years was middle school. Okay. Which to me is the absolute worst <laughs> time to teach. <laughs> I mean, people, I always tell people, I have some middle school teacher friends and I always say it takes a very special person to teach middle school. <laughs> yeah, it does. There's a lot of uh, stuff going on and they're trying to find their identity and the hormones and uh, uh. they hate everything most of the time and most people in their lives. But um, I loved that age range. Yeah. It, it really suited me well. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's what I mean by this very special person because people who <laughs> do it love it. You know, a lot of people do. Uh, so, <laughs> so you did that for for a long time, and then uh, decided decided to quit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then you wrote and you wrote a memoir about it. And I want to and I want to talk about um, memoir writing for for kind of a pretty good portion of this interview. I hope, um, but. Um, Let's talk about like what made you decide to to quit teaching. So there were a lot of things that led up to that decision, and it it wasn't an easy decision because I love teaching and um, I love inspiring people, and I love learning too. So you know, if I think if you're a really great teacher, you learn every day from your students, and that was part of the appeal of it all. Right, is that I was a lifelong learner, even though I was a teacher. Um, but I had moved to New York City from Charlotte, North Carolina. I had taught 10 years in Charlotte. And then I moved here. I met my husband. And I moved to New York City. And I knew that I would have to get a master's degree and do all the state certification to, to keep up my uh, – to get a permanent certification with New York City public schools. And I was prepared to do that. I was perfectly fine with all that. I moved. Um, they took my tenure that I had in Charlotte, North Carolina, because I was moving to a new school system. And I even understood that process. You know, it was a new place and they needed to make sure I was probably good at inner city teaching or whatever they were looking for at the time. And um, so I did all that. I, I, I recertified. I went and got a master's degree. I actually decided I was going to leave the world of uh, teaching, reading and writing for a while and finish off my career with a biology, um, a master's in biology. I wanted to go teach high school biology. There just weren't a lot of science teachers that were female. And I thought I loved biology and I could really excel at that and maybe reach some of those female learners who were losing in the sciences. And um, so anyway, it came down to it. I went to reapply for certification and the New York City told me that they would take my tenure again because I was switching from English to biology. And that was the final straw for me because I had worked so hard here. I had top test scores in the city, despite only being in inner city schools for one year. Um, but that just goes to show you, if you're a good teacher, you're a good teacher. You can go anywhere and you can teach, <laughs> as I say, teach your butt off, um, and, and really inspire and influence uh, students. And I just really took a look at my life and I thought, Every year, there's something else in this school system where I have to prove myself to who. I don't even know who I was proving myself to. It was people that had never visited my classroom, people that were sitting on Capitol Hill making policies that you know, were trickling down and really affecting teachers across the city and across the nation. And that was when I finally decided I had had enough and I was not going to prove myself to one more person in the world of education. You decided to leave teaching, and you, you needed a, a plan B. You needed something to do after right. teaching. So what, I needed to make it, some money. <laughs> needed to make some money, yeah. You, you can't – the rent's not going to pay itself in, in New York or anywhere else, right? right? So <laughs> so, you, uh, you started, uh, so you started a business. I did, and this was uh, – I just want to say no one in my family is a business owner, Everyone I know except my husband thought I was completely insane. Uh, I had no idea how to run a business. I didn't know anything. I knew teaching. That's what I knew. Yeah. But I also knew that I had 
a drive to do something different. And I wanted to be happy again. And I wanted to travel. Like those were my three motivators. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to travel and, um, you know, I needed to, to make money. Uh, so I sat down with my journal and I actually made a list of all the things I thought that I could get paid to do. And this was a really scary time for me because you don't ever know if people are going to pay you when you go out on a business venture, right? Like you, you have great dreams and aspirations and you can get help. But in the end, there's a lot that goes into running a business, which I've learned uh, two and a half years later. (laughs) Um, but the things that I kept seeing on the list in my journal were things like writing and writing, coaching and maybe even doing some consulting in schools. It, It was all still very, teacher-centered or education-focused. And so I really looked at that list and I thought, why don't I start a business around writing? And I didn't know what that looked like at the time, but it sounded like it was something that I could do. And, you know, I needed help and I, I did. I got help and I've been very vocal about how I've grown so fast with my company is because I've paid for help every step of the way. I have not done it alone. I've invested in a business coach who's still with me today. I've invested in a virtual assistant because you can't do everything by yourself when you're trying to run a business. Um, and so that was really um, how the writing whisperer was born. And of course, it's evolved over the last you know couple of years. I, I, I grew pretty fast. So I've gone through a few rebrands, which has been interesting. And those are lessons in and of themselves. But my company basically focuses on all things writing for small business owners and for authors who are small business owners who want to write that first or second book and build their speaking platform. Great. So, um, so a lot of it involves on writing and copywriting, but also, I mean, you're almost a business coach in your own right, in a way, right? Well, I don't know. A lot of people want to come to me for the business mm-hmm. coaching. And when I see it take that turn, I really ship that off. That's not where my yeah. passion is. Um, I think, you know, I can help people with the content that, that they need to grow their business. That's what I'm super passionate about. And if they need really good engaging copy for their website or their email marketing campaigns, of course, I provide that. But when they start asking me things about how to go get clients and where they should differentiate, uh, I ship them right off to my business coach. <laughs> yeah, good, good call. Good call. Yeah, yeah, go not, back my, to the, not my passion. <laughs> yeah, go back. Send them to the person who helped you in the first place and stick with right. what you. Well, that's a, that's a good lesson right there, though, is, is trying to, you know, making sure that you're doing what it is that you want to do and that you're good at and being able to uh, refer people to, to other places for the things that you're not as good at or you don't want to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That can be uh, a difficult line. I think for a lot of people, especially when they're finding their way with a business. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, and I did too, like I made the mistake of taking on editing projects, but you know what? I hate editing. Mm-hmm. I hate reading people's stuff and editing it. it you don't want me as your editor. Right. <laughs> yeah. So anytime people come to me in my email or they call me up, Hey, I have a book. I'm looking for an editor. Can you, you know, I've read your stuff. I really like your style. And I say, no, but I'll send you to my editor. Like I have yeah. some editors that I can refer you to because you can't, ever build a name for yourself if you're a jack of all trades, right? Like you need to focus and you need to do only what you love, which is part of why I left education. I wanted a life that I love. So why would I take on projects that I don't love? Yeah, right. I hear you on that. I'm I'm very good. I'm a very good editor, but I hate it as well. (laughs) I don't like doing it. So I try to avoid it if possible. um, Yeah, I I understand that. So um, while you were, so you decided to quit, you you started your business and uh, I know there was some overlap there. And so you decided to write a memoir detailing basically your last 40 days um, on the job in, at the middle school where you were teaching in, in New York. And I, I've read your uh, memoir. I really like the structure of it. It just goes 40 days left, 39 days left, and just counts down, right, which, is, uh, which I think is a great structure for, for the memoir. What made you decide to, to write that? You know, this is a question I'm asked a lot, and I never was going to write a book. It ever in my entire life did I ever plan on being an author. It just wasn't in the realm of things that I thought I would ever do. But um, 
during those final 40 days, uh, as you know, I, I was uh, handed a letter in the principal's office. And that letter was for a sexual misconduct charge um, where my principal had actually turned me in the year prior and they had spent a year doing this bogus investigation with all these students across New York City uh, for a group hug, like a huddle. And I can I say this? I got really pissed off. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you can say that. <laughs> it made me mad. I was mad. I, I was hurt, to be honest. I mean, this is still a very painful thing to talk about, even uh, two and a half years later, right? Because that's your character and that's your life on the line of, you know, being charged with something like that. And, um, and I was deceived. I thought that I had a really great relationship with my principal. And it turns out that that just wasn't the case. I mean, I don't think anyone would turn someone in for a group huddle, you know, without having a conversation with them first, you know, if they thought it was inappropriate anyway. Um, Thank goodness nobody would testify. Uh, nobody, the parents and the students refused to speak, and they didn't have any evidence to go on it. And that charge was thrown out. But that was a defining moment, and I thought this needs to be told. And it wasn't for me to get even or to get vindication or whatever the word that would fit there. It was simply for me to let people know what exactly is happening behind closed doors. Because when you're a teacher, you can't talk about that stuff or you do lose your job. I don't care if you have tenure or not. They, they find ways around that. And so um, that's really how the book was born and, and why I was so driven to write it. Because um, I also, people have told me, like I'm the first really educational book, a memoir that they've read from a teacher who wasn't bitter when she left. And I don't know if you got that sense when you read it too, but I didn't want to be bitter and leaving teaching. I wanted to leave with like a really good feeling about it. And getting that letter, um, I could have let that impact me and affect me, but I, I left on my own terms. And I, I left and then I wrote the story to help other people realize what's really happening. Yeah, that that comes across, I think, a lot. It um, it, it seems like you left more out of uh, the frustration of the bureaucracy, but then you also had this thing <laughs> that happened, and, and the thing that I thought was particularly chilling about that was was that the principal reported you, and this went on for a whole year. The investigation, un, unbeknownst to you, mm-hmm. and he never said anything to you about it, right? Right, and that. That to me was crazy. Um, I do like. I don't know if I'm. If you. Want, I mean. I, I guess. I don't know if just if these are spoilers or not. But in your, of your book. But I like towards the end of the book where you you're, you're doing an awards ceremony and you make sure to hug every kid in front yeah. of the in front of the principal. Believe me, I went on hugging for a long time because you know what I. I don't want to say I had the power there and the control, but you know what I did now that I look back, like Mm -hmm. I was leaving, I was leaving on my own terms. I was leaving with a glowing, I had, I had received my final evaluation for that year was a glowing evaluation. Um, and I had one, one, I don't know if you can win in anything like that, but I had, you know, won that case and I didn't care. I hugged and I hugged and I hugged Mm -hmm. and I didn't care. And, I still stand to this day, every radio interview, every podcast, there is nothing wrong with hugging a student. Yeah. It's, and that's one of the tricky things about teaching, you know, and in, in your memoir, you, you do not come off as bitter at all. Um, it's more, a a journey of, of kind of, I don't know, becoming yourself in a way or becoming more comfortable in, in your, in your own values, I guess, uh, to mm-hmm. a large extent. But I think that speaks to something larger in education, um, touching students in general, the way you interact with students, all that stuff has always been a, a kind of a fraught topic, you know. And I think there are a lot of people who agree with you that hugging is fine, and and you know I agree with you as well. Um, as a male teacher, I have taught middle school and high school in the past. Um, I never touch students at all, ever, 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 just out of, you know, <laughs> I don't know, just just out of. I guess fear of sure. it being yeah. misinterpreted, you know, especially when I was in my mid twenties and you know teaching high school. It just yeah, but that was my personal thing. But I saw you know other people doing it, you know, and it's yeah. I don't I don't think it's a problem, uh, but I, you never know what's going to happen in a school. Who's going to be offended by what, and and who's going to go 
kind of over your head. And I think that in the last couple of decades, this has gotten worse and worse where you get people litigating or people misinterpreting things or, or, you know, things like that. So there's a broader picture there. I think that, that your memoir speaks to. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on any of this, but I think this is just a bigger societal issue at large. Right. So I mean, we could probably talk about this forever, which we won't, but you know, (laughs) We've lost, and I see it coming back. I I do see it coming back, but we've lost what it means to actually be human and to be connected and to be personable. And teachers and students have, good teachers and students have very unique relationships with each other. And it doesn't need to be bastardized or publicized that because you hug a student, you're doing something wrong. And it's, it's a bigger problem of society that I think somebody needs to address. I'm not going to, because (laughs) I'm moving on. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'm not going to tackle that one either. (laughs) I'll leave it to, I'll leave it to someone else. It's not my, not my domain either. So, (laughs) um, but but it does speak to to a lot of the problems we have with I think with with, with higher ed. So you you said you'd never write a you weren't going to write a book. Then you did write a book, and, and a lot of it was based on this experience you had because you wanted to to kind of illustrate that for other people. So as far as the uh, the memoir goes, you um, you did you self publish? I did. I self published, um, and there were a couple factors in that. Uh, I knew that, first of all, I loved the title. The full title is Breaking the Silence, My Final 40 Days as a Public School Teacher. And I knew it would catch attention. And I also knew that any publisher would say it was way too long of a title. (laughs) (laughs) So I was not willing to budge at all on the title. But also, uh, if you're talking about your final 40 days of anything, I think there's a shelf life there. And I didn't have time to shop that book around for two or three years to publishers trying to get them to pick up, pick it up. Right. Uh, so those were the two main reasons that I actually, uh, self published that book. Yeah. It's a nice quick read as well. And I'll bet a publisher would have told you to make it longer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't need to be longer. No, (laughs) it doesn't need to be longer. It does the job that it was, it's supposed to do. And to be honest, um, it was a little scary publishing the book, right? Because that is, there's some raw and real stuff in there. And, you know, this, we could speak about this in terms of memoir writing. A question I get asked a lot is, is memoir writing healing? A lot of people want to write a memoir to heal from something. And I don't think the book made me heal. In fact, I had to relive it all, right? Uh, Multiple times. Mm -hmm. And every time that I have an interview on it, (laughs) <laughs> a year later, right? Uh, I'm still reliving the hug and the incident and all of that stuff. And so uh, for me, writing the memoir wasn't a, a healing thing. It was, um, I mean, there were parts of it that were very hard that the whole sequence, you know, of all the interactions with the principal, you know, following finding that out, I actually didn't write those until the very end, I couldn't stop the mental train of thought and and go back to that you know, emotional place. And so those were some of the final chapters, uh, you know, that dealt with the hug and the principle that I wrote to kind of seal off (laughs) the book at the end. And to even do that, I actually ended up going and staying my parents at my parents' house. They live on uh, 24 acres in Southern Illinois with a little cabin. And I just knew that I could cry and scream and hit a pillow and do whatever I needed to do to get that out in a safe place. So I don't know. I, I haven't bought into the idea that writing a memoir is healing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying because you had to relive it. I've got a draft of a memoir that details of, of some particularly painful aspects of my own life. And you're right. I, I had to relive some of those in order to write about them. And um, it brought up some feelings, you know, that maybe I didn't want to feel at the time, let's put it that way. So yeah, I definitely get that. I, I find that writing memoirs in general, I, it's it's a weird thing because I think when people think of literature or of writing, um, there's a dichotomy, a false dichotomy in some senses between fiction and nonfiction. I think people find fiction to be for entertainment, 
and you know completely made up and nonfiction is like I think people think of like how to books like how to write a book how to write quickly how to you know whatever um, and I think memoir does this weird middle ground you know where I think a good memoir is is nonfiction in the strictest sense of the term but it also takes elements of fiction and it's meant to maybe instruct and to entertain or both or neither you, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, um, you know, I wrote an article for The Right Life, which is a huge writing website. I don't know if you know them, but they're yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember because I do a lot of writing, but it was <laughs> something like the five elements you must have in your memoir. And many of those um, points were things like make sure you focus on the characterization. Well, that's something that we hear about in fiction, right? Like developing. Right characters um make sure you focus on the emotional arch like how are you going to pull your readers in well that's getting into plot right and and make sure you describe the setting and you're exactly right there seems to be this idea that uh, non-fiction writers and some of them aren't like how-to books that's not the right place but memoirs and probably really good uh, autobiographies would fit this idea that you do have to develop your characters and you do have to have the emotional arch throughout the story and you do have to develop that setting and and the plot line and those are things that people traditionally talk about in fiction (laughs) Mm -hmm. i i didn't realize this i i've read your article oh i didn't realize it was you (laughs) <laughs> I'm looking at it right it now. San and Hernandez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just realized it was you because I read it back when you published it back in April. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's that's really funny. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. So I thought I had done my research, but you're right. There are these the the, the elements of fiction are there, which I think makes um, marketing a memoir also pr- uh, problematic, mm. uh, possibly. Uh, you know, because you you don't you can't you can't. Uh, market it as fiction, obviously, and you can't market it as this. Like, here you'll learn how to do something with this, right? Sure. So you get this. So I think that you're. Um, like how did you? Did you? Did you worry about that when you were writing it, or was it just you wanted to tell your story and then and then and then find the audience? Um, you know what? The that's an interesting question. Like now, I'm going to work on my second book, and I'm doing things completely differently because I'm not under the pressure of time, right? Like the the shelf life of the forty days. Mm. Um, so on the first book, Breaking the Silence, I wrote the book and I, I knew who the audience was. I knew it was teachers, parents, and then I wanted this other audience, which you probably gleaned towards the end of the book, is these people who are kind of stuck in careers that they don't love and speaking to them about, you know, like life's too short for that, right? We should be yeah. happy and fulfilled every day. So when I actually went out to market the book, I had full-size postcards made, and and what I mean by that is the size of the book. So the book you're looking at, it was the exact same cover on the front of the postcard, so it looked like the book cover, and then on the back, there's two versions. All the education people got the description that's printed on the back of your book, and then all the people about reinventing their lives actually got we wrote a separate description for those postcards. So what that did for me is when I went to speak to education people, I took the education postcards. And when I went to speak to women about reinventing their lives or, or learning to dream again, or getting out of some unfulfilling or terrible situation, I took the postcards with the back copy that was more about the reinvention piece. And um, that was, I think, key to this book's success of reaching as a self-published author, as as many people as I could, because, uh, you know, we even toyed with the idea of actually publishing two different books with the copy on the back and two different ISBNs. Uh, But I thought that is another, what, three or $4,000 to to go through that process. Um, And I didn't know how, like it would be weird, kind of an Amazon, right? If, yeah. I just didn't know logistically how that would work. So we went the route of marketing with the postcards. Uh, and it was good. And I still have those postcards. And when I go and speak to different groups, I just take whatever postcard fits the group. And it's it's been a really nice 
a marketing tactic. <laughs> That's really smart. You, so you take it's the same book, but depending on the audience, you you tailor the the marketing message basically towards these two audiences and funnel right. them back into the same book. That's that's really smart. Um, right. You know, on Amazon, you have seventy four reviews on the book. Um, most of them five stars. Very yeah. good reviews, and that's that's a decent number of, of reviews for a book that's about a year old that's self published. That's that's pretty good. Um, if you had done two books, you would have you would have split those up, right? Yeah, and that would have just probably been confusing, right? Yeah, like exactly. I yeah, I couldn't figure out, but the the postcards were key. And I don't know how much you want to talk about marketing, but I learned some tricks as a self published author about uh, things. Uh, one of the things I did and. And this actually delayed the book for a month, but it was probably the best thing as I did is I used my Facebook page and I said, all right, I need two homeschool parents. <laughs> I need um, two middle school teachers, two administrators, uh, two people who aren't happy with their career. I would love for you to be a beta reader for my book. And please email me. So they emailed me. I emailed the manuscript out. I gave them about a week and a half, two weeks to read the book. I had focus questions that I wanted them to to answer, you know, and then any other stuff they wanted to put at the end. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that I got back absolutely changed the face of that book, uh, the content of the book. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, it was probably one of the smartest things I did is is bring those beta readers in early. And, and what most authors do is they, they do a book first edition, then they get the feedback and then they put it back into publishing for the second edition. And I thought, why would I do that? Like I could just do this now and, and get this feedback now. And that feedback was so, so valuable to me as a writer and to the finished outcome of, of what the book became. That's great. So you use Facebook for that. Regular listeners of this podcast will know I ask authors all the time about beta readers because I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept. And I'm personally at the beta reader stage where I'm about to send an email to my list to try to solicit beta readers. Um, so, so I'm like totally fascinated by that concept because I think it's a great idea. You know, you get people who will who will read and comment on your on your thing. So you had so you you chose you said you wanted a couple of people from different places, different areas of life or whatever, you know, different professions. Mm -hmm. And you gave them focus questions. That's interesting. Yeah. Can you give some examples of the focus questions? Well, I don't even have them pulled up right now. <laughs> I think of them, but I'd be okay. happy as you're on your journey of the beta readers, I can certainly share those with you so you can do what you need to do. <laughs> I um, appreciate it. Yeah. I know that one of the questions was, um, how, how did you feel at the end of the book? And this was important to me as a reader, uh, as a writer, because I wanted my readers to not feel like, oh, my God, the education system is so broken. What are we going to do? Even though that was I think that's part of what's going on in the book. But yeah. I want them to feel uplifted and encouraged to go do something, whether if you're in education, like use your voice, start advocating for what's right, what is right for students. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're a politician, like back off all the policies and let us teach. We know what we're doing. Believe me. <laughs> um, and if you are somebody who's stuck in a career that's not fulfilling and you're not passionate about it anymore, honestly, you have two choices. You can suck it up and keep dealing with it and just go through, like I say in the book, like you're a robot, just go through the motions or you can learn to dream again and put some things in place so that you can have a fulfilling life. And so that one of the questions dealt with, with how did the book make you feel, you know, when you were done reading it. And that was so important to me as an author. And I got a lot of um, great feedback back. But one of the things they said is that I, the book felt incomplete, that I just kind of ended with day one. And so that's why in my book, you see, there's an afterword that kind of talks about what had happened since the book. And then I also added an entire resources section yeah. for the educational community, as well as for those who are seeking reinvention in their lives. And, and people have written me and said, I love the resources at the back of the book. Thank you. Yeah, that's a cool section. And you have the resources broken down by if you're a teacher, an administrator, somebody looking to change their life. So you have different resources for different people. It's, I like that section as well at the end. 
awesome. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was. I thought it was cool, and I like the afterwards too, because because you find yourself as you're reading, like you have certain threads in the book that that um, you kind of open up early, like like the uh, the misconduct uh, allegation, for example, that doesn't get resolved till later, and you know it's good fiction, right? Uh, telling. Right. <laughs> techniques but yep. uh because in the reader's mind you're going you know 10 9 8 you're, you're counting down and you wonder well what's going to happen at one and i was really happy to see it afterwards so i think that was probably good advice on the on the part of your beta readers because i think it, i think it really works it wraps up well and i felt like that i felt like you know i'm i'm uh yeah i'm in a transition right now in some respects in my life and i got the end i was like yeah i need to like i need to focus i need to get going i need to like there's just <laughs> you know I have a long list of things I need to do and I already have the list, but you know, it, it did motivate me in a lot of ways. And it just reminded me of, of what can happen in education as well. Like those of us who are in education already know, um, a lot of the, a lot of the problems, I guess you could say, but it, it's, it is uplifting at the end for sure. Absolutely. Good. Good. Yeah. It's great. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it works. I think that, you know, Teachers would like your book, definitely. I think administrators should read your book. Um, and like you said, people who are who are thinking about a career change or are stuck, I think, would, would also get a lot out of the book. So I think you've got the, the audience pegged pretty well, in my opinion. Thank you. So, the other thing I did, if you wanted to know a little bit more, because when you're self-published, you got to hustle, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, make it happen. Um, so I said next time on Facebook that I'm very active on Facebook and my audience loves me and I love them and they have watched the transition out and I've been very open and very public. So I think all of those things are in my favor because people want that (laughs) authenticity. They want somebody to root for. Right. And, and you know what? I give it back. If somebody's having a hard day or they're needing something, I say, Hey, if you need to hop on the phone, let me know. Like it's a two way, two way street there. Um, But I said, does anyone want to be part of my, I call it BMC, the book message crew. (laughs) I explained like, this is what I need. I need um, about 50 people all across the United States who are interested in the story. You're interested in kind of where I'm going and, and me having a voice in education for this time being. And um, I would love to send you some postcards that you could distribute in your town at the next meeting you go to leave at the post office, wherever. And I think I ended up with 64 people and they each got 50 postcards. Wow. And yeah. And if they were, um, you know, not teachers, they got the other postcards. And if they were teachers and had a connection to the education community, they got the education postcards. And it took me a while to, you know, that's, that's a lot of counting and organizing, but it paid off those people you know, hit the ground running and, and put those postcards out wherever they could. And when the, that all happened right as the book was coming out last August. So, uh, of course the sales were phenomenal and they had far more reach than I could do by myself. Uh, so it, it pays to build quality relationships and to engage with social media and to be the author who's I always say, I, I now that I'm an author, I want to be the personable author, not the one who's stuck behind the computer and doesn't answer people. <laughs> right? Yeah. And as uh, a, a self publisher, you have to be. You have to do that. Yeah, you extent. do. Luckily, yeah. you also like it, <laughs> so that's yeah. nice. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> these people on Facebook are these uh, people that you know, or are these? Um, like, where, um, where do they come yeah. from? So you know, I have a Facebook business page, but if you know anything about how that's going, it's just not fun because you got to pay to play, so to yeah. speak. So, um, it's fine; it's doing whatever it's doing over there. But I really use my Facebook personal page. If I go to networking events and I make a really great connection with somebody, I friend them on Facebook, and I keep up with their lives. That's the key. You can't just go around friending people and then never know who they are and what they do. So, um, I don't know. I probably have 2000 and some friends, so to speak. Uh, oh. some of them are friends and family, but many of them are connections and other authors that I've met and just people that I'm interested in and I want to support however I can. And that means sharing their posts sometimes or going to a program they're offering. You know, there's, we have to, as business people, authors have to be business people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I, and I've learned that and, um, and I'm fine with that. Like we have to network, we have to be able to 
get our message out and we have to support people because that stuff is what pays pays you back in the end when it's time when you need something. Yeah, absolutely. So it's people that you've met through speaking engagements and other things. That's great. That's that's really cool. And then you got basically a street team out of it of people who are willing to help spread the spread the word. Uh, yeah, lo- locally. Yeah, and I also did a crowdfunding campaign with this book. Um, it was it was exhausting, and uh, I've never crowdfunded before. But when that <laughs> campaign was over I vowed never to do it again but of course now I'm thinking about it for my next book Uh, (laughs) Uh, but it was good you know I reached I reached other people but crowdfunding is hard it's really hard to do that's the one thing I hear from everybody who's done crowdfunding is it's hard (laughs) it's very difficult so I haven't tried it myself what's the uh, so what is the next book about Ah, so the next book, uh, I'm spending the next two years volunteering at nonprofits that I love around the world. And through this process, I'm going to um, face some of my own fears. I'm going to write about what I learn about myself and humanity. And I'm going to use it as a platform to really showcase some awesome smaller nonprofits that people don't know about that are doing like really great things in the world. Uh, and my website for that launches uh, in September. We're, we're getting close. <laughs> I need to write some copy. Um, that All of that stuff will be housed at mshannonhernandez.com, which will become my new author website. Okay, that's great. And I'll, I'll put links to um, to all of this in the show notes at ericmarshall.net slash wet. Um, every, every link that you've mentioned or I've mentioned, well, I'll put in the link so people can find those as well. Awesome. And, and if... Uh, if you launch after this airs, I'll, I'll just go back and put it in there for you. <laughs> just, you just drop sure. me an email just to make sure it's in there. So that sounds great. That sounds like a really cool project. Yeah, and I'm excited. I, I have my first three lined up. So um, I will be spending January in India at a leprosy colony. Oh. And I'm going to be working with uh, teenage girls who – you know, leprosy is, is interesting in India. It's this colony. It's not an active leprosy colony anymore. So they can't get, um, you can't get leprosy and and it's been healed, but it's the stigma in the society. Right. So many of these girls are just like normal girls who were born to parents or grandparents. And so they've relegated themselves to live of lives of beggars. Uh, but uh, this group has gone in and they've done some work with them the last four years. And the first eight girls from the community ever are now enrolled in college and they've learned to dream again outside of what society has told them they have to be. And I'm going in and to do some writing and some leadership development around that. So that should be very rewarding. <laughs> um, and I'm also going to be doing a 400 mile bike ride for cancer research wow. uh, next August through Pennsylvania and Massachusetts. Um, and I have that call later this week where I'm going to solidify that. So there's some cool stuff lined up and, and I'm super excited about the journey and kind of seeing, you know, what comes of it and, and what I learn about myself in the process. Yeah, that sounds great. I, you make me feel so lazy. <laughs> you are not lazy. <laughs> I feel so lazy. Oh my gosh, you're going to ride 400 miles. Um, <laughs> that's, well, that's awesome. That's part right like i've never ridden 400 miles i hope i can make it <laughs> right right yeah that's that's part of the journey it's figuring that out <laughs> that sounds great i like how you're doing it with with uh writing a book in mind so you're you're you know that puts a different lens on things because you're doing it in terms of how do you filter it through what other people might be interested in and shedding light on some of these things which is great that's really cool yeah, yeah. that's very very cool wow that's yeah that sounds great um i look forward to to reading that one as well Awesome. That's yeah. That's that's really cool. So that's your that's your second book that you were never gonna write. <laughs> Writing bug has bitten me at this point. <laughs> yeah, it does that. <laughs> Are there things that we haven't mentioned that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? You know, I think that uh, authors need a lot of help in the world of content marketing and and how to get their message out there. And there's lots of ways you can do that. I have a podcast associated with my book, uh, which has has been a lot of fun and it's helped spread the message. But there's other ways, you know, blogging and all of that. And that's one of the things I'm really passionate about now that I'm an author and I've actually seen it work. Like it's not just a theory anymore. I know that it works. Um, of helping authors who need that support of, 
you know, what do I write about? How do I market it? How do I pitch to a podcaster that I want to be on or all of that? So those are really great, uh, valuable services that I provide over on the Writing Whisperer. And, you know, everyone's voice and message is important. I truly believe that. And if we write, most of us who write and publish, we want to share that with the world. And there's just some things that you have to buckle down and do. So if people are struggling with that, you know, my website has great resources for, you know, bite-sized pieces, how to do a video for your book or um, how to pitch to a podcaster to be on their show or whatever it is that someone may be struggling with. They can find tons of cool resources over on the writingwhisperer.com. Yeah. And it, it is a uh, chock full of really cool stuff. So I, and I'll put a link to that as well. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to talk to you about and I, I had forgotten. Now I remember, um, before we started recording, you mentioned that you are doing Periscope. And I am very, very interested in Periscope. I've been listening lately or watching um, Monica Leonel. She's been doing a regular um, Periscope for the last couple weeks at least uh, every evening about writing, about different aspects of writing. It's really fascinating, and and I've been wanting to talk to somebody about it. So since I've got you, what's the deal with Periscope? What is it? How are you using it? Et cetera. Okay, good. So Periscope is connected to your Twitter account. Everyone needs to know that first to get a Periscope account, which you download the app to your phone. And then when you sign in, you have to sign in through Twitter. So you have to have a Twitter account to make it work. Uh, And then it's um, the best I can describe it is live streaming. So, uh, you know, I've been getting on Periscope and doing 10 to 15 minute segments daily on different ways to use content to grow your business or your brand. Uh, So today is actually, I'm going to be doing a live broadcast this afternoon and the topic is how to get more readers to your blog. Uh, And it's just basically me in this case or the person who's, who's delivering the content is literally standing in front of their iPhone talking to the audience and people are Um, coming into the live stream all over the world. And, you know, with that, you get crazy people sometimes like you (laughs) you do. Um, But you learn to ignore those comments. And we call them trollers, right? They're people just trolling around, like making bogus comments that don't fit anything. But it's okay. Um, What I've noticed in the last week and a half of me doing it is I'm actually driving a lot of traffic to my blog and people are signing up on the writingwhisper.com for my free challenge, which is coming up, which is seven days to build your brand with video. And they're signing up for courses that I have coming out on content. And so, you know, that's not why we do things, to be honest, like I'm not all about driving people, but it is another way to get your name out there and and to get out there about what you're talking about. Um, It's a lot of fun. I, you know, there's people who are doing it great. And there's people who are failing at it miserably. (laughs) And we could talk about those. I'm sure you've seen some of those. That they just go on and on, and you don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like anything else. You have to stay focused on one topic, and and as I say, provide quality content every time you push the record button because it is streaming out and it's live. And what you say is what you say. <laughs> it's like yeah. you can't you can edit it. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, and you can't edit it. You can't. The the listener cannot fast forward or rewind. Uh, which is important, right? Yeah. Um, and the way I understand it at the moment is it stays up for 24 hours and it's gone, right? Yeah. Uh, there's another program you can use in conjunction with it called Catch, K-A-T-C-H dot me. And it actually records it for you with all the comments so that you can follow back up with the people who were commenting that maybe you didn't you weren't able to address, you know, their questions or whatever because it does happen pretty fast. It it, it really is on the go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I haven't tried that software yet to be honest. Um I know a lot of people who are using it and they love using catch.me. They then have the recording and they can repurpose it over to their blog as a video blog or whatever they're going to do with it. For me, I'm just really exploring the aspect of going live for 10 to 15 minutes of a day and, and seeing what happens. And, and I'm good with that. That's, that's where I am right now. And I'm, I I have followers like the same, you can get a notification of when somebody goes live based on their Twitter handle. And I keep seeing the same people come back and engage, which is really exciting, right? As, 
as a brand and as a person who's building a brand. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I think I'm going I'm going to jump into Periscope pretty soon myself. But I, I you know. I'm one of those people I get afraid and I want to do a lot of research and listen to a lot and figure out what I'm going to do. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, good. Periscope's good for getting you over that. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's what I think. It's like, well, at least it'll be gone in 24 hours if I mess up. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the, the 24 hour things can be a good thing. Right. Um, but you know, Eric, um, what I've been telling my audience about Periscope and video marketing just in general is that, more than ever, this goes back to what we talked about society in the book. People want the real you. They want authenticity. It's okay if you stumble over a word. You don't put, you wouldn't do this, but you don't put your makeup on and you don't put your best clothes on. Like it doesn't matter. People want the real person behind the brand or the real author behind the book. And I think that's what Periscope is great at. You get just the real raw person and you can take it or leave it. And this is one of the things I'm so passionate about when I talk about giving your brand voice is you don't have to be anyone you're not. You can be yourself and you can be completely successful as yourself. And, you know, I don't wear makeup generally, maybe four times a year, special events. <laughs> and most of my periscopes, like my hair is pulled back. I'm in a tank top because that's what I wear when I work at home in Brooklyn in the summer. And nobody said anything. People don't care. They want the content that's there and they want to know the person's real. So I'm actually going to challenge you to, to just turn it on and do something. I don't care if it's one minute. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, I'll do that in the next, I don't know, week or so. How's that sound? Okay, good. And, and find me and tell me when you're going live so I can okay. go support you. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely follow you. I follow you on Twitter, so I should be able to find you on Periscope pretty, pretty easily. So yeah. cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you, Eric. This has been a fun, fun interview. Yeah, this has been great. I really, I really do appreciate it. Um, and you know, like I said, I'll, I'll link to everything in the show notes at ericmarshall.net/slash/what. You can find all the stuff that Shannon has talked about, and and find her on Twitter and Periscope and everything else. So, yeah. Once again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks once again for listening to the web podcast. You can find show notes at ericmarshall.net, E-R-I-K, Marshall with the two L's, dot net, slash what. And you can follow me on Twitter at emarsh. And I always appreciate reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen. Thanks a lot. See you next week.